0: I don't know if you know, but uh, the volleyball tournament for the churches in the area was yesterday, so I'm I'm moving a little slower today, as are some of you, uh, because of some injuries we took, uh, was reminded of a truth. If you don't know how to test if you're old or not, all you got to do is fall down in front of a bunch of people, because if if they laugh at you, you're still young. If they get concerned, then you know you're old. And so, when I went for a ball yesterday and spilled out on the floor and everybody laughed at me, I thought I felt pretty good about that. So, uh, apparently, I'm still young enough that I get laughed at when I fall. Well, I don't know if you've ever been to a youth group event or maybe even uh, an adult social type event, but uh, you all know how many of you love those icebreaker games that they play at those kind of events? How many of you hate the icebreaker games? At events. Yeah, I figured there'd be more people who don't like them. I love them because I'm a very social person and I'm very outgoing in, in, in that way, so I really like them. Have you ever done one where you had to come up with a unique skill or talent? I've done or I've been a part of an icebreaker game in the past where they said, you know, just tell everyone a unique gift, a unique skill, a unique talent that you have which is tough for me because I don't have any unique skills or unique talents. Uh, I have some unique facts about myself. Like I love when they ask like a unique trait or fact about yourself because I've got a bunch of weird ones like I've literally never had the hiccups in my entire life. I don't know what they're like. When I see people hiccuping, I just think, just stop doing it. Like I don't get it, you know. Uh, A couple other weird ones like that. So I've never had a bloody nose. Four brothers, lived in the woods, never had a bloody nose. Uh, so I don't, I don't know that my nose can bleed. Weird things like that, but no, no, that's not a unique gift. You know, it's not a gift not to bleed uh, or to not have hiccups, so uh, I've never really had anything, but I've met some people that have, have had some of these. Like, I met one girl at, at a camp who could alphabetize any word you gave her instantly. Like, you'd tell her, uh, any any long word that you could come up with, like the word alphabetize, and she could a you know b she could just tell you the the letters that are in that word in alphabetical order like instantaneously. And I was like, well, that's crazy, uh, completely useless, but pretty cool. Uh, I don't know where that skill has you know found its uh, sweet spot in her life, but I doubt she has. I met uh, when I was doing inner city ministry. I met a kid. He couldn't have been eight, maybe. And he could tell you the square root of any number, no matter what number you gave him, faster than a calculator could do it. It was crazy. I've never met anybody with that kind of intelligence, like a savant at math. It was really impressive. Uh, I don't, that skill may have come in handy in his life. I don't know. That was like 25 years ago. So uh, he's an adult by now. I don't know if that skill ever became useful to him. I imagine it did. His mind for math had, had to have paid out for him. But does anybody here have like a unique skill like that a unique talent they have nobody nobody's willing to to admit it has a unique skill or talent no i don't I don't have any so i you know I have nothing to say um, and I, I in an icebreaker game, I refuse to make things up, so I would just i have nothing i've got no unique skill or talent uh, I'm really good at irritating certain people i don't know if that's a skill or not but uh not having, uh, if you've ever played an icebreaker game like that—is as it's going around the circle, do you, do you know the anxiety that comes with that? Like, I have to come up with something and I don't have anything. Uh, what it, you know, I have to have an answer to this question and I don't have one. You know, Not having a unique skill or a unique talent for an icebreaker game, it really never affected me. Like, I didn't lose confidence in myself because I didn't have a unique skill to tell this group of people who are playing an icebreaker game. But if I were to think that I had no skills or talents whatsoever, that would bother me. That would affect the way I lived my life. If I thought, I have no skills, I have no talents whatsoever. I have met people who think that way. Some of us view ourselves that way. We think we don't have any skills, talents, or abilities. We think we have little to nothing to offer God or anyone else in the way of skills or talents. We just think, I'm just trying to get through life, trying to not mess up too bad, and just get through. We miss the truth of Isaiah 64:8, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation if you want to follow along on your own. It says, And yet, O Lord, You are our Father. We are the clay, and You are the potter. We are all formed by Your hand. If we are formed by the God who created everything on purpose. Again, the, the God that we serve did not accidentally create mankind. It's not like, oops, I spilled the paint and now there's humans. That's not how it went about. You weren't part of some cosmic mistake that God made. Because you exist, you were created on purpose. That's the whole premise of this series. God intentionally created you. And as He did, He created you in a unique way because He knew everything that would take place in your life. And so, He created you on purpose. How can we believe that He mistakenly forgot to give us talents? That for all of humanity, God was, He has, you know, a great success record except for us. With us, He forgot. He forgot to give us a talent, a skill, or a purpose. Because we are masterfully created by the potter. We have each been given a gift through the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 4, 10-11. It says, God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do, will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. How many of us this morning, and I actually want to see your hands on this one, how many of us would say with confidence we know what our spiritual gifts are? You are confident you are aware of what your spiritual gifts are, and you operate in that giftedness. Okay, some of you. Okay. See, it helps when people in the front raise their hand because then other people are like, oh yeah, we're actually doing this? Okay, I raise my hand now. Some of you do. Some of you don't have an idea of what your spiritual giftedness is. Now, for me, that's concerning because the scriptures say that God, for a very specific purpose, gifted you in a very specific way and you don't even know what that is. And you're not alone, and I don't want you to feel condemnation or shame or anything this morning. Many believers, even some people that just raised their hand, they don't actually know what their spiritual giftedness is. Uh, One of my frustrations with spiritual gifts tests is, first off, they're garbage. Second off, uh, all they do most of the time is test what you're actually good at. They just test what you like to do which tends not to be your spiritual giftedness, but your actual physical giftedness. Like uh, for some people, you really like to help. And so you think, oh, I have a spiritual gift of helps." Do you? Or do you just like to not have to speak in front of people so you like to take the background roles? You know, that doesn't necessarily equal out to be a spiritual gift. So uh, the Bible tells us we're each gifted in a unique way. And one of the things I want us to get across this morning Is we should know what that is. We should have clarity on how God has gifted us. It's going to make it really difficult for us to steward those gifts well if we don't even know what they are. One of the if you know we're our on purpose series is a series on stewardship. And what we'll talk about through this series is how to steward our time, talent, treasure, and temple well. Uh, I believe. Uh, we should steward everything that God has given us well. A steward is a manager. So if you don't know that nice Christianese word of steward, it's manager. How to manage these things in a way that glorifies and honors God. Uh, When I talk to you about stewardship, for some of you, there's a particular scripture that probably comes right to your mind. The parable of the talents. All right, I heard someone say it right away. Yes. So I want to look at that this morning and and see what does it have to say about... uh, now. If you know your Greek, which uh, I don't, so and I know most of you don't, you know the word talent doesn't necessarily mean actual talents. It was a form of currency, so it's not saying actual talents. And I like, one of the things I like about the New Living Translation is it doesn't translate it as the parable of the talents. So let's get into that. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14, is this parable that a lot of people mention. It says again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I know you are a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. "'If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant "'and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, "'why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? "'At least I could have gotten some interest on it.' "'Then he ordered, "'Take the money from this servant "'and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver.' To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot to unpack. In this scripture, more than obviously we have time for this morning. But I want to focus on a few, point, a few points in this parable that relate to the topic of, of stewarding our talents well this morning. First, one I want to look at is the amount that each person is given is in proportion to their abilities. The master was well aware of what a, the level of ability of each of his servants because he knew them well. And so he entrusted them with an amount that was proportionate to their skill. We see in verse 15, he gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. So the Lord is going to give you gifts, talents, in proportion to your ability. And notice what happens, as, you, as we read in the parable, as they're faithful, they are given more. And as you see at the end of the parable, the the one who had the five bags and earned five more, it's not as if he turned those five bags in and he started back at five bags. At the end of the parable, it says, give, give that one bag of silver to the one who has 10. God continues to build on the faithful servant's life and ability. Now, the next, now, now that servant has 11 bags to invest and then to continue on. And as long as he's faithful, the Lord will continue because he's showing his faithfulness. He's, he's gaining ability as he serves the Lord. For some of us, I think one of the things that we can take away from this is to stop comparing ourselves to other people. Stop looking. If, if you were the one that, were, that was given the two bags of silver and you only gained two more and you looked at the one who had five and said, well, man, I stink compared to that person. I'm nothing. My work is useless compared to them because look at all they can do. Some of us, maybe God has spoken over you that He's called you to be an evangelist and you look at somebody like a Billy Graham or something you go, oh, I can't do that, so I'm just not going to do it. Now imagine if the servant with the two bags said, man, I I know that guy. I know the guy with five. I know he's he's great at what he does. He's going to end up with ten bags. So why should I even bother? I can't accomplish what he can. And so one of the points I want you to take away from this morning is change your scorecard. Stop measuring your success by what you define as success. And just be faithful. Don't compare your ability to somebody else's. If the Lord has spoken something over you, He hasn't spoken it in relation to somebody else. He's not saying, I want you to be a better this than that person. He has simply spoken, this is how I've gifted you. This is how I'm going to use you. Now be faithful with it and see what will happen as you continue in that. Second point I want to look at is Jesus celebrates their effort, not their outcome. And this is the idea of scorecard that I want to talk about. Verses 21 and 23, see what he says. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. That was for five bags of silver. For two, the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. If the Lord was concerned just with results, Why was his praise the same? Because the faithfulness of the servants was was equal. They took what they were given, they went out, and they were faithful with it. And too often, our scorecard is completely based on the result, on the outcome, and not on the effort, not on the journey the Lord wants to take us on. Many times, all the Lord wants us to do is say yes, and that's the scorecard that day. And the result is unimportant, irrelevant on what the outcome actually is. And my argument will be, as we talk about this, even for that third servant with one bag who obviously wasn't great at what he was doing, if he had lost all of that money in his attempt, in his attempt to invest it, I strongly believe the master would have said, well done, my good and faithful servant. I only gave you one because I knew you weren't good at this, but man, you gave it your all. And you failed, but you gave it your all. And that brings me to my third point that I want to look at. Fear is what kept the servant from stewarding what he was given. He was so afraid of failure that he didn't do anything. He refused to move. He refused to engage in the purpose his master gave him because he was fearful And that is one of the most relatable parts of this parable for us is how fear can cripple us and keep us from engaging in the purposes that God has designed for us. Fear is what keeps us from being who God designed us and created us to be. Verse 25, it says, he says, I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. And that is not what the master wanted. If the master was just concerned with more money, with having money, he would have been like, all right, well, I'm not going to give you any more. Go away. But he's so much more severe on this servant because it's about the effort, not the outcome was the focus of this task that he gave. It was faithfulness in, in being the servant they were called to be. That servant had a purpose. They were given a mission and he failed to even give it a shot. He failed to even take the first step in that, which is, again, why my argument would be if he had invested it, and he invested it poorly because he didn't know what he was doing and lost it, I still think the master would have said, well done. Because that comes to my last point. Jesus doesn't condemn failing. He condemns inactivity. He doesn't condemn failing. He condemns inactivity. I think that's the the main point of this entire parable. Verse 29, it says, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will, they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. That's the main point of this parable. It's that this servant did nothing. They were inactive. They failed to even attempt to serve. And I don't know why, because there are so many. Just do a quick Google search on famous people who failed miserably at things, and you will come up with a litany of people, famous people that you recognize. Uh, The guy who invented electricity, uh, Michael Jordan, you know, there was just a quick Google search I did this week, and I came up with all these people, and I'm like, man, I should start talking about these people. And I thought, nah, it's not, not, not really worth all that time. But you can do the Google search. Search out how many people fail terribly, and then found success. And honestly, I believe it's people that never failed and succeeded that aren't very good at succeeding because the first time they fail, they fall apart. Some of you have failed miserably in life, maybe miserably before Jesus in attempts in ministry, but you've gotten back up. You've continued to be faithful and you realized, man, that that failure wasn't nearly as big a deal as I thought it was. The only thing that failed that day was my pride. And Jesus stuck right there with me. And He walked with me and He kept going. And we kept this relationship. And it never wavered. Jesus didn't look down on me. He didn't condemn me because I failed. But the biggest failure is inactivity. And the the point of this parable seems to be that inactivity is worse than failure. It's the worst thing we can do as Christians is to be inactive. And it, it, it's, it's not humorous to me, but interesting to me because one of the things we focus on the most the church is focused on are the sins that we commit. Oh, that person smokes. Oh, that person does that. Oh, that person did that. That person fell this way. How about all of the sins of omission that we commit on a regular basis, How about the person that comes to church every single Sunday, sits in their pew, hears the message, goes home, and fails to serve the Lord in any capacity? That person is living a life of sin just as much as the guy who's living with his girlfriend and having sex. That's a life of sin. So is the other one. And honestly, to me, the one that's most dangerous is the one that goes to church every Sunday because they think they're good. The guy living in sin with his girlfriend, they know they're wrong. All that takes is for them five minutes sitting before the Lord in the presence of God and they realize there's something wrong with my life and I'm very uncomfortable right now. It's the one that's grown comfortable just omitting obedience to the Lord. That's the most dangerous place to be. We've gotten comfortable not living in our giftedness. We've gotten comfortable with inactivity. That bag of silver has been buried for years, and we're comfortable with it. Because it's not hurting anybody. I'm not causing anybody any pain, but one day, we will need to stand before the Lord. And I'll ask us, hey, I gifted you with the gift of singing. How'd you do with that? Well, I was really uncomfortable, and I never wanted to join the worship team, so... Uh, I just attended church and sang in my car. I'm going to be honest with you. If you don't want your gift of singing, I'll take it, okay? And my wife will love you for it because I don't stop singing just because I can't. Uh, It would just make everybody's life more pleasant around me if I could. I just sing loud enough that I can't hear myself anymore, uh, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it works for me. So many of you have been gifted with things that you have buried in the ground. And your way to deal with that is, it's not hurting anybody. It's okay. I still love Jesus. I believe in God. I'm a spiritual person. These are all the things I hear as excuses as to why we don't live in our giftedness, why we don't operate out of how God has created us. You have been created on purpose for a purpose. It's the whole point of this series, and it's straight from the Word of God. You have been created on purpose and for a purpose. You have gifts given to you by the Holy Spirit. I don't know, any of you ever given somebody a gift that you found like years later sitting on a shelf completely unused? So when I met, I'm going to throw Jackie under the bus because I know she's watching, but she's not here. uh, So she can't argue with me. Um, So when when we were dating and before we were married, Jackie told me she was big into scrapbooking. And she knows what I'm going to talk about because I bring this up multiple times a year. So... I went on this big journey to find like this coolest, I had this idea in my mind of like the coolest scrapbook ever and like I'm a story person so I love stories and I love this idea that like one day we'll be able to tell our kids this like awesome story of like how we met and 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 how we uh, got engaged and, and it was a whole process and it was awesome and then like just our life together, like I, I love this idea of like a story and telling our kids these stories and stuff and so I found this like really nice fancy looking scrapbooking thing uh, that had like like that old storybook look to it, like leather bound and everything. It's awesome. It's still in the plastic. And it drives me nuts every time I see it because it's like, man, that was a good gift. I'm not even good at this stuff. And like, I, that, I nailed it with this gift. And she apparently doesn't like scrapbooking as much as she told me. She likes scrapbooking. But if you gave somebody a gift that you were passionate about, that cost you something, and you find that they don't value it enough to even begin to utilize it. That bothers you, doesn't it? And it doesn't bother me that she doesn't use the scrapbook. I just thought it would be a bigger deal. But imagine if you did spend a lot. Maybe you sold your car, that you loved this, your, 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 this car that you wanted all your life or this, this thing that you valued so much and so you sold it to buy this gift for somebody and they just threw it on a shelf and never touched it. That would probably bother you. Jesus paid a big price to win us back, to give us eternal life, to allow us, uh, give us the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And some of us walk around never utilizing that gift that we have been given. So one of the main questions I want us to walk away from today is are you using those gifts on purpose? for God's kingdom. Now the answer is an easy answer if you don't even know how you're gifted because the answer is no, you're not. If you don't even know how you're gifted, you're almost definitely not using your giftedness in a way that honors God. First, we need to learn what those are. I don't know about you, but I definitely wouldn't want to stand before the Lord someday and hear the words wicked and lazy servant. That would bother me if God spoke those toward me. The solution, now I want to talk about the solution because many, for some of us it's like, all right, I'm going to get busy. I'm just going to start doing stuff. The solution isn't to be busy. The Word says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Which means activity isn't what's important. Doing the good things God has planned for us is important. Many people who have been very busy their whole life will be very disappointed one day. Matthew seven twenty one 21-23 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I think there's going to be a lot of people who went to church every Sunday, who served on this committee, who served in that ministry, who did a lot of things. Notice the focus of these people as they stand before the Lord is, Lord, look at all the stuff we did for you in your name. Look at all the stuff, look at all the activity on our account in your name. And that's not what impresses the Lord. He says, I didn't know you. There's a relational aspect that you missed out on. There's a lot of people who thought that are going to think that church is all about just attending a service, maybe giving up some time here or there, and that's good enough. As if activity earns salvation, and we know it doesn't. What, yesterday we, we had our I told you we had our volleyball tournament and uh, I got to share a little devotional with them which is cool because uh, it goes really well with volleyball because you know we have a certain number of people on the, on our team and even yesterday we were finding out like we each have that sweet spot on the court that we like to to operate in and some people like to set the ball some like to spike it some like to avoid the ball at all costs and uh, you know everybody has their their sweet spot on the court and. I got to share with them this idea of of finding the the sweet spot they have with Jesus and and, and figuring out what does that look like for me? What, What would that look like for me? And that's what God wants from us, not just activity. You know, I could just run out on a court and just start swinging my arms like a lunatic, and that wouldn't be a very good way to play volleyball. I could be really active and I'd get sweating, but it wouldn't help my team. It would certainly fail miserably, especially if um, I just started standing in the middle of the court and doing a river dance. I could be very active, but that's not the time or place for that, uh, and nobody would want to see that. So activity isn't what's important. Operating in the sweet spot God created you for, that's what's important. See, if you want to know how to figure this out, if you're like, well, I don't know my spiritual giftedness, and I don't know how to figure that out, when we know God, More, we learn more about who we are. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And so there's this concept that Colossians mentions here that says, You were somebody. And that person died, and you were created anew. And now this new person, who you are, is hidden with Christ in God. And so the more you learn about who God is, the more you learn about who you are, who you've been created to be, the spiritual giftedness that God has instilled in you now that you are a believer. For me, I've told you this before, I was petrified of speaking in public. And then I came to know Christ, and everything changed. Now I actually wanted to be in front of people. I wanted to share the Word of God with people, which was so weird for me because just six months before, I was frozen in terror uh, trying to share a a presentation in seventh grade. I couldn't do it. And so it became very clear to me oh, this is the new Bruce, this is the, the new me that God has created. And as I've gone through life, I've learned more and more about who God has created me to be. And it's not a journey that has like a a very easy end in this life. That's the beautiful part, is it's this journey that you'll go on through the rest of your life. You know, I I shared with you uh, when we went on our our vision trip to West Africa, one of the people on our team learned they love to teach. They didn't know that. And they're a lot older than, not a lot, but they're older than me And they found out for the first time in their life, they they enjoyed teaching. As they taught something they were passionate about and they loved to teach about, he learned more about who he was as he stepped out in faith and learned more about who God is to him. The more we learn about who God is, the more we learn about who we are. In his book, More, by Todd Wilson, which I would highly recommend, he proposes there are three main questions on this journey of discovery. And if you're a note taker, I highly recommend you take notes on this. His first question, who am I created to be? This is a design or identity question. This is the first question to answer on your journey of discovering who God has created you to be, the masterpiece that God wants you to be. This is the first question. and You can't jump the line. Answer this question first because the one we all want to jump to right away is question number two. What am I created to do? Which is a purpose or mission question. So often, we have this moment with the Lord. If you've had one of these like these awesome like breakthrough moments where you've been like, maybe struggling with a sin or you've just kind of hit a block with the Lord and, and you've been fighting with Him and uh, He's been fighting with you and maybe that's just me, but this is how the Lord and I operate sometimes and you finally have that beautiful spiritual moment where you break through. What's the first thing you want to do? What do I do? What do I do now? What do you want me to do? And you think of the transfiguration, what happens? Jesus' glory, it, it comes down a little bit on him and he begins to shine. And what do the, what do the disciples do? They get so nervous, they're like, ah, what do you want us to do? Let's build something. And Instead of just resting and saying, wow, you loved me enough to bring me to this moment. There's only three of them that got to see that. What if they could have just rested in that identity place to say, wow, there's, there's 12 main disciples, hundreds of other disciples, and He brought us. Let's just bask in this moment and, and view His glory in that. How much more that moment might have meant for them. So that's the first question is, who am I created to be? Then we can, once we have some clarity on that, how we've been designed, that will inform us on what am I created to do as we begin to discover our purpose or the mission that God has for us. And then finally, we can wrestle with number three, which is where am I created to go, which is a compatibility or position question. That's the final question that we have to ask as we go through this journey because God, you might have clarity on who you are and what you're created to do, but you've been struggling because where you're trying to do it isn't where you're supposed to be doing it. Too often we want to jump this line and and try to do this out of order. And from the Word of God, we discover the first thing God wants for us is to discover identity, to know who we are through Him, that we are His children, that we are loved, that we are co heirs with Christ. When we can come to terms with some of those, when we can, as we talked about a few weeks ago, when we can look in the mirror, look ourselves in the eyes, and say, You are a masterpiece. You are the creation of God, and it is good. When we can learn to do that, when we can have such clarity on question number one that we can look in the mirror and and be excited about the person that looks back at us because our identity is secure in him, because our identity has less to do with who we are and more to do with who he is, then man, number two, becomes awesome because God can use us for more, because our identity isn't focused on us it's focused on Him. And even in this is, is the statement, our main statement of our series is, you were created on purpose, which is the be part of this question, number one, for a purpose, which is the do and the go. You were created on purpose, that's your identity, a discovering just how on purpose you were created, and then the for a purpose comes later. I would encourage you, if you don't have clarity on these questions, start with number one. Make this the year you discover who you have been created to be, that you begin to get excited about who you, who you were created to be. And let me just warn you, because the enemy will immediately begin to hit you with all of the things that you've messed up, all the ways that you've missed it, and you've just messed his plan up. And if you think God is that poor of a planner, that he didn't take in one of the greatest memes I ever saw was God has a purpose for your life or I forget exactly how it went and it said the most beautiful part of that is he took into account how stupid you are and I was like that's offensive but also beautiful because it's so true he took into account how much we would mess up and how often we would fall and in that season that we ran from the lord and did our own thing all of that was taken into consideration when he designed us when he gave us a purpose And if we think we have such a little faith in him that he couldn't plan for that, then you're serving the wrong God because it's not the God of Scripture. He planned for it. He knew it was going to happen. And he is still drawing you close to him and speaking those words of identity over you and still has the same purpose he's always had. The only thing that's been keeping you from that probably is you've refused to accept the identity that he has spoken over you because you've believed the enemy. When God spoke, you are beautiful, you said, no, I'm messed up. When God spoke, you are powerful, you thought, no, I'm a coward. When God said, you are, you are righteous, you said, no, you don't get it how much I've missed the mark. And you fought him tooth and nail on the identity statements and maybe this is the year you finally say, you know what, Lord? Okay, I'm willing to hear it now. I'm willing to accept these identity statements that you have spoken over me. I'm, I'm done arguing with you that I'm this messed up cretin that just can't get anything right. And man, what a year it'll be if you can learn to accept those statements about you and about who you are. And regarding the third question, the had a conversation with somebody even this week as we talked about, you know, this where am I created to go as I was in Morgantown, West Virginia, and God was finally bringing about circumstances that I, uh, made, was, were making my uh, job there seem desirable again. Uh, we had w- went through a very rough season down there and things were tough, and I came to candidate here at this church. Some of you were here when I did that. And I've told you this before, uh, but I try, I, I did my best to throw this interview. I don't know if you ever knew that. I did my absolute best to like mess up my candidating weekend. And I was uh, abrasive. I was uh, overly honest with all of my answers because honestly, I was like, I'm happy where I am. I was in a good spot in Morgantown finally. Things were really good. The church never should have got my resume in the first place so I didn't even want to be on this journey and God was dragging me along anyhow. I was struggling with number three. Where am I created to go? God, I don't want to go anywhere different. I want to be here in this place. And as I follow along with the Lord, thankfully I was faithful enough to just follow Him in that, in that process, I ended up here in a new place because that's the thing. Number two and number three, God can do whatever He wants there. Missions sometimes have an end and He puts us on a new mission. Sometimes missions are for seasons. Purposes, now most of the time those are pretty, pretty set and permanent. But sometimes even two can change, but most definitely number three can. And so we have to constantly be in tune with the Lord and be asking Him these questions and be wrestling over these things. As we close, I just want to read over you Psalm 139. If you are somebody who's struggling with those identity statements, you're struggling with because you've messed up, because you've missed it, because you feel like you're doing a really good job at messing up God's plan, One of the reasons I told you of of that story of Morgantown is I tried to mess his plan up. I purposely went after messing his plan up. And if I can't do it on purpose, you're not doing it on accident. His purposes are that good. He is that good at taking into account who we are and where we're going to mess up. So let me just read this over you. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you think God had to get His eraser out for you in your life? Do you think God has holy whiteout? That He had to white out a page or two because of your recent mistake, because of how you blew it, because of the sin that you committed, because you ran away from the Lord, because you were just flat out unfaithful? Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Before you took your first breath, God had every moment designed. He even has today designed. If today is the day that you finally repent and say, you know what? I've been the wicked and lazy servant. I have been just inactive because of fear, because I was afraid I'd mess up, because I was afraid where it would take me, because I was afraid I wasn't good enough for the Lord. I have been inactive. He even has that day when you would finally say yes and God says, oh, great. Now look at what is before you. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Let's not waste any more time and energy on being busy one of the things I encouraged the volleyball players yesterday, which was interesting because I'm speaking to like people from all these different churches, and I thought, I hope I don't get any flack from this, but I really don't care. Uh, is I told them, stop being busy. Stop just plugging holes in your churches. Stop just volunteering for things because there's a need. And that's my encouragement to you. You have my permission to stop. Stop being busy. Stop plugging holes. If we don't have the people that have been called, designed, and are faithful to the Lord, we're not going to do it. I would much rather shut a ministry down and let the kids run amok in this sanctuary if we don't have enough people that, says, that, that can say, this is a passion of mine, this is what God designed me for, this is what I want to do. I'm done with having volunteers. I'm done with this idea uh, that, that says, uh, we can do it and you can help. I want to be the Home Depot slogan that says, you can do it and we can help. You can do what God's designed you to do and our job as the church is to empower you, to gift you, to train you, to do whatever we have to do to see you operate in your giftedness. What if I were to say to each and every, and I am saying it, to every person here, stop doing everything you're doing and only do, spend 100% of your energy, your time in in where your sweet spot is, in the place that God has designed you to be. Now, for again, some of you, that's going to be difficult because you have no idea what that is. And so first you need to search that out. But I would much rather see a ministry die in our church than to see you operate outside of how God's created you to be. I don't want to be guilty to stand before the Lord someday and say, yeah, well, I just needed to keep that church machine going, so I just let that happen. I let people just keep serving where they weren't called because we needed to plug holes. I promise you, I would much rather see a ministry go by the wayside or deal with screaming kids through the sanctuary. It doesn't bother me. I know it bothers some of you. It doesn't bother me at all. Then to see people operate outside of their giftedness because sometimes when the kids are running running up and down the aisles and screaming bloody murder, that's when someone finally says, all right, Lord, I'll do it. I know you've been calling me and I've just been saying no, but I can't deal with it anymore. I'll finally operate in my giftedness. Sometimes the need needs to be felt before we're willing to step out into faith. And so for some of you, maybe you've been operating in that place of non-giftedness because you're afraid of what would happen. Fear again has kept you from saying no and saying, you know what? My number two, my, my mission ended years ago and I've just been trying to keep it going. And it, here's my permission to you to say I'm done because it's not where God's designed me to be. I don't want to be a church that does that anymore. I want to be a church that empowers each and every person to be the masterpiece God has created you to be, because in that man, whoo, watch what will happen as we each begin to operate in that sweet spot. As you wrestle with what would that look like for me?" that is the answer to how you can live on purpose with your talents. You have my permission. Quit your busyness. Operate in your sweet spot in the place God created you to operate. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, how you've created each and every one of us, Lord. When I think about the intricate way each and every human body is created, and then even as a parent now watching two different kids their personalities begin to d- develop and seeing how unique each and every one of uh, our kids are and, and all the kids in our children's ministry, how unique each and every one of them is, their passions, their desires, their personalities, Lord. It's so clear. It's so evident. You have put so much time and energy and passion into creating each and every person, Lord. I rebuke the lies of the enemies over our people that have them believing they're just too messed up for you. I rebuke the lies that say they've messed your plan up, they, they've messed your purpose up, as if you were that unknowledgeable to plan for that. I rebuke the lies that say that somebody is useless, that they have no talents, And that they can be of no use in the kingdom of God. Because every person here has been created by the master craftsman himself. Our value is not found in us, but it is found in you. And Lord, I pray that this would be a year of of eye opening revelations as we discover who we are. Lord, I pray for more people in our congregation to be able to look in the mirror at themselves and, and feel confident that they are a masterpiece, that they are joyful when they see their face in a mirror knowing they are a beautiful creation of the master craftsman himself and that the potter did not mess up with that clay, that we are each designed exactly how you've intended us to be designed. Lord, I pray we would be and live on purpose with our talents this day, this week, this year, and for the rest of our lives. We would never be found inactive in your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week.